Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 in 22 challenge. We are... At Zibby Books, we are encouraging everybody, like all of you, to visit 22 bookstores in 2022. And we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits, and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree, and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest. Plus, you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you want to join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net. That's 22in22.net and click I'm in and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores and 
It'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022. Hashtag 22 in 22. Kiara Alegria Hudas, I hope I pronounced that right, is the author of My Broken Language, a memoir. She is also the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright of Water by the Spoonful. And with collaborator Lin-Manuel Miranda, I don't know if you've heard of him, she wrote the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical In the Heights and also the film adaptation and the book In the Heights, Finding Home, which she co-authored with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jeremy McCarter. Her notable essays include High Tide of Heartbreak in American Theater Magazine and Corey Couldn't Take It Anymore in The Cut. In opposition to the carceral state, Hudas and her cousin founded Emancipated Stories, a platform where people behind bars can share one page of their life story with the world. As a barrio feminist and joyous mischief maker, Kiara E. Sue Hermana created the Latinx casting manifesto. She also wrote Vivo, the movie, which my kids are obsessed with and which I love, and we have been playing the soundtrack nonstop, and she wrote the book for that, so you should definitely watch that movie with your kids if you want, or even by yourself. Hudas is a native of West Philly, USA, and now lives with her family in New York. Welcome, Kiara. Thank you so much for coming on Moms. Don't have time to read books to discuss my broken language, a memoir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here chatting about the book. This book, I know I was just saying this, but it's so good. I mean, it's so beautiful. You're such a great writer. Obviously, you won like the Pulitzer Prize for your play and all the I mean, you're just obviously a rock star, but the memoir, I'm like a memoir fiend. I love memoir. It's my favorite genre. I read a million of them and it was so good. So anyway, just had to say that up front. My inner child is smiling because when I was a, a little kid and people asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said I wanted to be a rock star. So now I feel that it has come true. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But now I feel like I have a peek inside of you as as a young girl in your whole life. So that means like even more. Would you mind just telling listeners what inspired you to write this memoir and why, why now? You know, it's, it's kind of the, the two sides of one coin of my, my family experiences as I became an artist. You know, in some ways, the book is me becoming an artist. In other ways, it's me coming into my own as a woman in my family. And the thing about being a woman in my family, it was bearing witness and having proximity to so much struggle and hardship. It was very hard times. And and the Puerto Rican community in Philly, you know, took a lot of hits in the 80s and 90s, for sure. But the flip side of that coin, you know, I wanted to bear witness to that. And I wanted, honestly, to even before bearing witness, just to make sense of that. What did all of that mean for me as a kid? But the flip side to that coin is it was also, the, the family setting was also a site of tremendous exuberance, joy, tenderness, healing, humor. And I think that vivaciousness, that, that life force, that juice, you know, really informed the pain and vice versa. And I was, I'm still so compelled by the kind of 
coexistence of both of those things in my family growing up. You described it so beautifully too, when you were talking about how in your family, it wasn't always words, right? It was actions like the banging of the pots and wait, I have to find, I think I dog-eared this page, but oh yeah, here it is. Language was not what connected us as a family. A dinner table ritual where people gather to discuss news of the day was not at the heart of how we communicated. Bodies were the mother tongue at Abuela's with Spanish second and English third. Dancing and ass slapping, palmfuls of rice, ponytail pulling and wound dressing, banging a pot to the clave beat. Hands didn't get lost in translation. Hips bridged gaps where words failed. I loved that. Yeah. You know, we, it's like the harder it got, the harder we partied and the harder we celebrated. And we did that with our bodies. Actually, I was quite shocked. I got to get, you, you know, later in the book, you meet a character called the boy and spoiler alert, we stayed together. He's now my husband and the father of my children. But I was 17 when I met him and this isn't in the book, but I would go to his house and his family would like sit down and have dinner at the same time <laughs> and have conversation. During. This was a totally new experience. I was like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> free for all at Abuela's house. And there was always dancing. There was always eating, cooking, usually some sort of healing going on because someone was always sick, you know, babysitting. And, you know, that all happened simultaneously when it naturally occurred. Wow. And then you contrast that with Yale, which by the way, we were there at the same time because I graduated in 1998. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was in Davenport, but I lived off campus half the time. But anyway, when you were talking about Ashley's ice cream and, you know, the halls of Sterling and I was like, oh my gosh, we were, you know, Sprague Hall, all the places. It was crazy, like a little flashback. But anyway, how you contrasted what that sort of, you know, traditional old school beauty intimidating atmosphere was like for you coming, you know, and then even saying about your, about Gabby, like, why did you get that? And she does not get that necessarily, right? Like that, why, why did you get that in your family? And I don't know, t- talk to me a little bit about the, about that. Cause Yale feels like a very central, or maybe it was my own bias, but the central piece of your, of your coming of age, so to speak. Well, at Yale, I read for the first time, a very important play for me in just in my life and in my heart, which was for colored girls by Ntozaki Shange. And in the final pages of that play, she talks about a laying on of hands as this healing, cathartic healing act. And of course, I was familiar with that phrase because it's kind of like a well-known biblical phrase. But to hear it spoken about like within a woman's space, it gave me language to something I had known all my life, which is, which was we were very physical with each other. Our bodies and our family, which is in my experience quite typical in Puerto Rican families, ran the gamut from very light skin like mine to darkest, darkest skin, like cousins of mine, or my aunts, you know, from straight, some of us has straight silky hair, like some of my younger cousins, but my tias had afros, my mom had an afro body shape. So we had very skinny and we had very, very, what would be called obese or fat. You know, I didn't, I didn't use the word fat for a long time because it was such a slur. And now it's starting to come back as like, hell no, I'm, I'm going to call myself that. I'm going to claim that word and I'm going to make it mine. And so, and all of these women were wildly confident possibly overconfident. <laughs> and it was amazing to see because when I was like in middle school, that's when, you know, it was like heroin chic. It was the Calvin Klein underwear ads and everyone was stick thin and looked emaciated. And here was this very robust, like cellulite ridden, you know, botched tattoo, surgical scar family, just like 
of mostly women being being together, sharing space, dancing, healing, laying on of hands. And it's because that was the environment I was used to. I almost didn't notice it. And then getting going somewhere quite different, like Yale, I just could see with relief and with a little more clarity what I had left behind and how special that was. Things like eating disorders and low self-esteem, low body image was were new concepts to me. Our bodies were our chapels. They were our they were our scripture. They were our joke book. You know, they were like our family history, and so. In some ways, we didn't have the ability to have those same body issues because our bodies were just much more activated and engaged with each other every day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those were things I started to notice with a little distance at Yale. And that's just that's just one of the things I, I do. The thing that was most front and center for me going to Yale, being first in my family to go to college was leaving my four year old sister behind. So she was my baby. She was born when I was 13. And she presented really differently. She had much darker skin than me. She was a very chubby kid from the beginning. She kind of spoke with this like North Philly John accent. Like she had this whole North Philly thing going on. And she was so confident about her body. There's a, there's a chapter where I talk about like that she's, I'm trying to get her dried off after a bath and she finds her naked self in the mirror. She's like four years old. And she's like, oh my God, my body is round as Mother Earth. My body's round as the moon. And to her, this is like miraculous, you know? And it was so, it made me feel very alive. But I also had a little bit of an uh-oh because I thought like, so when does the world begin to tell her mm-hmm. that that should be the source of shame, not the source of joy or celebration? So that was, you know, these were the things at the front of my mind or some of them when I got to Yale. What is she doing now? Like, What's the PS? Right now she's expecting her first child. Aww. So I'm going to be a PT, which I'm very excited about. And she's a theater producer and a cultural producer in Philadelphia. So she started a Latino and a women of color theater company in Philadelphia. Wow. That's so great. Power three theater. Amazing. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Well, you could really feel how hard it was for you to leave her and go into this new environment. So I'm well 
acquainted with that separation anxiety. You know, you had like a preview for the kid <laughs> phase, yeah. but that seemed like a super special relationship. I also really liked your whole conversation on what you believed in and whether or not you believed in God and that whole conversation of what does it mean to believe and who, you know, who here, I'll, I'll read like a little passage from it. Cause of course I'm like botching it as I try to talk to you about it, but here, I think it was a little earlier. Oh, also I loved this whole section on the books that you loved. A book is its presence and absence. I keep just like quoting cause you're such a great writer, but you know, who would I be without Ralph Ellison, without the battle Royale's electric brutality without five words strung together. I am an invisible man. Who would I be without reading beloved on the L North Philly zooming below if I'd never known Seth's back scars. And then at the end you said, and yet as I read with double vision, thinking of her often, each book had the strange effect of binding me to her. The more I learned of our divergence, the more I paid it attention. I don't know. Just so great. Anyway. It was me writing about my cousin who was my older cousin and one of my role models growing up. So such a funny woman, really a survivor and a fighter. And that was on me learning that she could not read and had never learned to read despite graduating the Philadelphia public school system and just realizing some of the gulfs and divides that existed within my family. I had already begun to be a literate teenager. You know, I loved books. I I was, I loved writing and that was a shocking thing for me to learn. So as I went to Yale, I was very mindful of the fact, you know, boy, I wish Nucci, my cousin, I wish she could read this story. Mm -hmm. I think she would connect to this story. And then even you start to second guess yourself with those sorts of thoughts because it's like, well, who am I to judge? She's doing just fine. Like she's, look at all she survives, look at her fighting spirit. And am I implying that there is a deficiency there, you know? And, and it's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, going to Yale gave me a lot of double vision there. Wow. I loved how your mom later when you were sort of struggling to figure out what to do after Yale and you were doing a lot of musical stuff and obviously you're a musical genius in addition to everything else, but how she was like, but you always wanted to be a writer. What happened to that? Right. And then now like to, to read that story in the memoir, it's like so satisfying because of course here you are writing it, not to mention everything else. So I don't know. That was so neat. It was I, for a brief amount of time, I collaborated with an incredible Mexican, Mexican American songwriter named Leela Downs. And one thing she said to me stuck with me all this time, which is moms just know. And that was a moment when it was like, moms just know. She knew who I was with clarity and with much simplicity. And I didn't. And she was like, you're a writer, PR. She wasn't telling me what she wanted me to be. She was telling me who she saw I was, and I had never conceived of that. But once she said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I am. And I had been training all my life to be a musician and put in so many studio hours, and I loved music so much. And Chopin and Coltrane and Bach, in some ways, were my saviors. They saved me from my adolescent depression. They gave me beauty at times that felt very desolate in my youth, and I remember in my mind, my heart just saying like, goodbye, Coltrane, goodbye, Bach, goodbye, Chopin. Like, thank you so much for all you've given me. But now I have to go do my thing, which is right. But don't you feel like there's still that melody? I mean, even the way you write is still, I I think music really informs writing a lot. You can hear it in the rhythm of the 
words. I mean, I, that sounds so hokey, but it's true. I feel like you can tell when people have like a really musical bent because it becomes more lyrical, almost more, you know, if the scale is poetic to, you know, mainstream, right? It's, it's closer. It's a more poetic, I, I don't know. I haven't slept. I'm not making any sense, but I know what <laughs> I know what I mean. So that's good. <laughs> Well, it turns out that musical training was extremely appropriate training for a writer too, you know, from just daily habits of self-discipline and being alone, finding creativity and solitude to also like working with sound and structure, all of those things remain super relevant to my writing every day. And now what has it been like? I mean, I know you already had won the Pulitzer Prize, but with the, this whole rise of In the Heights and how that was like the one thing everybody was, you know, watching <laughs> during, you know, it's in, in some ways it's terrible to have a memoir come out during a pandemic and, you know, a book and all of this stuff, right? I've seen so many careers sort of like, you know, so, so much hard work disrupted, but at the same time, we finally have a society where we can all focus on like one show at a time, <laughs> which we haven't uh-huh. had in a long time. So how has this sort of rise to, to fame and achievement been for you? I have felt somewhat disconnected from it. And I've, I've had to like really consciously find ways to acknowledge it and feel that it's real and celebrate it because it's, it is during the pandemic and, you know, the work takes so much time. The book took me years to write in the Heights took me decades to write. And Lynn Manuel and I, who, we were in the Heights together. We also just released this animated movie called Vivo on Netflix. My kids saw it and I'm so annoyed. They watched with my ex-husband. So anyway, I'm going to have to make them watch again, which they will not mind at all, but yeah. It's very sweet. It's romantic, you know, so, and, and that took me years to write. So, you know, years and actually decades of my work, all of it opened during the pandemic, but it, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know what to do other than to surrender to that fact and just be grateful for the ability to write. You know, the, the release into the public is always my least favorite part because I get self-conscious and I get scared of criticism and all that ego stuff. I have to like work hard on all that ego stuff. It's the making of the thing that is really joyous and exciting for me. So, you know, it was many, many good engaged years. And what are you working on now? Some new stuff. It's wild. It's like you you spend so much of your adult, like my kids were born and became, you know, bigger kids while I was creating this stuff. And now I'm writing new things. So now it feels like a whole new chapter of life. I'm writing an original movie for Warner Brothers. I'm developing a 30 minute sitcom. Yeah, fun stuff. I have a prison writing project I do that is about people that are behind bars sharing some of their life story with the world. So those are some of the things I'm working on. That's amazing. Yeah, I read about that program. That sounds fantastic and great way to, you know, give back and help and everything. So awesome. It's called Emancipated Stories for any of your listeners that want to check it out. Emancipated Stories. Perfect. So what advice would you have for aspiring authors? I mean, I think it's really important to know why you're in it, like to have that central compass to return to because no work that you write is ever going to be perfect. It's always going to be flawed. You have to kind of live with those flaws. You know, some of your best work might not be seen that way from the public. Some of your like more mediocre stuff might be really embraced by the public. It can be very confusing and disorienting. Plus, like collaborations might fall apart, all that sort of stuff. And so when you have that compass of what am I doing and why, why does it matter? It it really helps maintain some 
kind of emotional stability during it. I, I think the biggest advice I have is, I mean, when you're starting out, you just got to write a lot and you got to get yourself out there. But then when you hit a certain point, especially in playwriting, I realize I'm on, uh, I'm in this conversation with you talking about a book, but in playwriting, there's this thing where it's like, you need audience feedback and you need a lot of feedback. And, and I feel that it's not great because young writers can become addicted to feedback and it's, a, it's dangerous. I mean, you want to respond to your audience and hear what they're saying and if possible, improve your work of art accordingly. But Glennon Doyle has this quote that really makes me think of re, of like feedback and rewriting. It's like, if you're asking someone for feedback, you're asking them for directions to a place they've never been, you know? So I think you have to be careful with like, you should be giving yourself feedback. You should be doing the hard work of figuring out what are the deficiencies what are the strengths in this piece? And can I, there, can I make it better tomorrow? Wow, that's awesome. Well, I have no sense of direction. So I'm hoping that it doesn't apply <laughs> to like writing or anything. I feel like I would definitely need the directions, but amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I know we're both very tired, but you couldn't tell for you. So <laughs> I'm just, it's so great to connect and just to even think how our lives have intersected and over the years. And I'm just so excited to see what's coming next and follow your career and everything. So it's awesome. It's truly my pleasure. Thanks for, for reading the book and taking the time. No problem. I loved it. Okay. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 